Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Metadata. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 187 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. In our last episode, we discussed the current state of legal blogging and our own teenage blogs. In this episode, we jump from the past to the immediate present and the near future. So Snap, the company that operates the Snapchat instant messaging platform, had a recent IPO that uh, created many headlines and many, many, many dollars. Tools like Snapchat and Instagram are huge social media platforms that are extremely popular with millennials. What does that mean for lawyers? Tom, what's all on our agenda for this episode? Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, we will indeed be talking about Snapchat and also Instagram, uh, whether lawyers need to be paying attention to these uh, tools, and if so, is it worth jumping on the photo and video sharing bandwagon? In our second segment, we've got an audio question from our listener, and as a reminder, we always welcome your questions. Uh, we really want to start featuring audience questions on every show, and uh, so we'll give you more details on how to do that at the end of the episode. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip website or observation that you can start to use the second that this podcast is over. But first up, Snapchat and Instagram. It, it feels a little weird talking about social media tools used primarily by, I think, the youngest demographic groups. But, but frankly, judging by the user numbers that these two tools are racking up, I think it's hard to deny that Snapchat and Instagram really deserve some attention by lawyers. It makes sense and we need to understand whether... They do make sense from a marketing perspective or maybe even how to advise our clients about them. Um, Snapchat is so popular, as you mentioned, that it went public just before we recorded this podcast. Dennis, did you uh, did you happen to make uh, lots of money in the Snapchat IPO? Well, Tom, uh, I'm totally an index fund kind of guy, so uh, these IPO things scare me a, a little bit. But yeah, the I, the IPO was, was really impressive in a way. I mean, it came out uh, they were initially valuing the company at 24 billion on the first day it was more like a 34 billion valuation and and as things happen in these hot IPOs things have drifted down a bit but still it's a, a staggering value given the amount of revenue which I think is and this is revenue not profit is around the 400 million dollar range so it's quite spectacular what happened there and and that alone, makes us interested but but I think I think you're right it, these truly are tools when you look at the numbers are millennial tools and I had to talk to my to my favorite millennial resource to give me some some insight on these so I understood them and it does feel to me time like this is is these are tools of a, a different generation in a sense to me because they're foreign to the way that I typically use technology and that's an interesting piece of this and, and part of what we wanted to discuss was was not only what are these tools and the potential impact and what lawyers need to know about them but what do they tell us about how you make decisions about what new technology to jump into 
Yeah, I agree. And and I'll only say, yeah, I think that the IPO really was very interesting, but uh, and generated a whole lot of money at the outset. I think that the state the headline that I read was that the founders of, of Snap or of Snapchat uh, were worth two Oprahs uh, by the end of the day um, of that. But actually, right now, as I'm reading this, the the stock is trading at below what it opened at at twenty four dollars. It's at twenty two eighty one, and they're expecting it to go lower. And I think part of the reason for that. Is is that um, as we'll be talking, and as you'll see, they really don't have a, a terribly viable business model for um, for selling things or for making money. They have a heck of a lot of people, and, and we'll talk about that. But it'll be interesting to see whether they can, you know, be successful as a publicly traded company. I'll be interested to see how that works out. Let's talk a little bit, kind of about what their statistics, what their demographics are. Snapchat's been around for six years. It was launched in 2011, so it's been around for a while. Um, There are, on average, 158 million daily users who are snapping away, and that translates, according to statistics I read, to 2.5 billion snaps a day. So that's, I think, a very uh, a very healthy social network. Uh, a lot of eyeballs, a lot of people paying attention. We are going to talk about Instagram at the same time, so uh, I think it probably makes sense to show and have the comparison there. Um, Instagram has been around, uh, and I think, frankly, Instagram kind of is the tool that I've always thought was a little bit more approachable for those of my generation, because it really was started out as a photo sharing tool. It has grown more like Snapchat over time, uh, but uh, it has 400 million daily users, so even more users, but uh, its volume seems to not be quite as high as Snapchat. They only get a a paltry 95 million photos and videos posted to Instagram every day. So I think that what's clear here is that this is a lot a lot of eyeballs looking at these tools. And uh, that's part of the reason why I think lawyers need to pay attention to them as potential social media tools, or at least be aware of what they do. Because these are, you know, when we're talking about LinkedIn, talking about Facebook, they weren't getting these kind of numbers. Yeah, they're huge numbers. You really see it as a platform and, and the people who use it, use it heavily you know, multiple times a day. And there are some features that really keep people involved in them. And, you know, like, as I said, my millennial resource was telling me that that really he uses both of these tools more than he would use Facebook these days. And he uses them for for different reasons, which we'll uh, go into. Snapchat, if, if lawyers will remember and our audience will remember, kind of came out with the idea that you could you could send these photos that would sort of self-destruct in a short period of time. And there was like a, a lot of angst and uproar about it at the time. And then it seemed like a lot of people forgot about it. But then it, it grew from that. So I, I don't know, Tom, should I, uh, should I turn the definition portion of the show over to you and say, what the heck is Snapchat for the people who have probably heard about it but haven't seen it? Well, I think you hit it right there. It started out as, and it really has been, really designed on the premise that the content is ephemeral. It's not designed to stick around very long. They've changed that a little bit over time. But for the most part, if you take a snap, it goes away within 24 hours. And I was uh, listening to a great uh, 
Note to Self podcast. I talk about that a lot here on our podcast. The WNYC podcast recently talked about Snapchat, and they they define this kind of as um, FOMO by design. So if you're familiar with FOMO being fear of missing out, Snapchat really is FOMO by design because they estimate that people who use Snapchat check their Snapchat 18 times a day on average, which just is amazing. That's, that's, that's probably more than once an hour that people are looking at it. And so it's generally going to be video. That was the idea was take a video. Um, you've got a time limit on it. Uh, the time limit was originally 10 seconds. There's a way to, to kind of hack that um, or game it so that you can get more time on there. They have recently come out with a way to save your snaps to yourself for memory so you can actually designate and say, I want to keep this, but really only you can see them. So whatever you're sharing with the world is um, something that's really going to go away within 24 hours and people won't be able to get to it, which is really appealing to a lot of people. And it's been appealing to a lot of news organizations as well. And this is where I think we we might talk about how lawyers might use it because we're seeing a lot of um, information organizations, whether it's news, whether it's other you know advertisers or other things, actually going on and spending time creating content in very small 10 second or you know multi 10 second bites so that um, people can follow you can choose to follow people on Snapchat and get a, a regular dose of little short bite-sized stories every day and then they're gone the next day and you get a whole fresh batch of stories uh, the next day. I will say I have tried to use Snapchat and it just has a user interface that doesn't really translate well to, I think, the Gen X and up generations, I find myself a lot more comfortable in the Instagram world. um, And I do use that. But uh, I don't know, Dennis, have you tried Snapchat? Have you snapped? Well, I, you know, I've, I've looked at Snapchat, but I I realized that in both these tools, I don't really communicate through photos and video that much. In fact, I was just on a short vacation, and I think I have like, and and I met with a couple of really good friends. I was with my daughter in Portland, had a great time, did all these things. I think I might have like two photos that I took while I was there with the intention of, you know, I was going to text one to my brother to show me sitting there with Grace having dinner. But I don't think I did much more than that. So it's not really like a great, I I don't really think in those terms, uh, which I think is an important part of this as as I start to to think about a new technology. Because I say, well, you know, I'm really, for better or worse these days, I'm pretty much a writer. I mean, other than podcasts and, you know, we do audio. Um, but when it comes to, you know, I'll, I'll do the occasional video thing, but taking pictures and doing videos to send to friends, that's not sort of in my wheelhouse. And then then also I think in, in all of these things, all the social stuff that you got to have other people there that you're communicating with. So, I mean, I got an Instagram because I knew that my daughter was posting pictures from a trip she was on. So during that trip, you know, I, that's where I saw her pictures. But after that, I don't think I, I actually used Instagram after that. So, you know, those are the things I see. So that was my reaction. So I, I would say I haven't really 
used them that much, but I would almost see something like, we talked about this a little bit before, something like Kick, which to me is more of an instant messaging app, may make more sense to me than, and had more appeal to me than, than say, Snapchat. So that's my reaction to it, Tom. I don't know, maybe it's, uh, people tend to talk about Snapchat and Instagram together, and it seems like they're like Facebook and LinkedIn, and, and the features have seemed to evolve closer to each other over time but it's probably worth if you want to take a little time and distinguish the two of them maybe talk a little bit about instagram which i know that you've used more extensively and i do use instagram somewhat and i don't take a ton of photos unless i'm out of town in fact i'm headed out of town tomorrow i'm hoping i take some photos i generally will post those first to instagram and then maybe share them over to facebook if i want to share those pictures but i'd kind of feel a little bit more comfortable talking about these two tools through the lens of instagram because i don't think you know if we're going to get around to the conversation of why do lawyers care about this what are lawyers going to do with this i think that from a photo sharing standpoint, standpoint, the value to me is not there as much. Uh, that's more of a social experience with photos. I really think that the value of both of these tools tends to be in the video format or maybe in, in this other tool that, that Instagram uses uh, that I'm familiar with. And kind of let me talk about it this way. Instagram actually started out really as a photo service. Facebook bought Instagram and since that time, it appears that every move that Instagram has made is to become closer to and more like Snapchat. So they have become more and more like each other all the time. And that's more by design on Instagram's part. And I think that there are some who would say now that they actually prefer using Instagram to Snapchat, at least maybe older generations do, um, because it tends to be a little bit easier to use or more understandable. But here's one of the things that I think is really interesting about how to use Instagram. Because what I do is I follow a number of people on Instagram. I tend to follow a lot of the National Geographic photographers because they are every day posting just gorgeous photos of the places that they're going around the world. And so every day I can look at those. But what's interesting is, is that occasionally, and Instagram gives you the capability of stringing together several photos or several videos into a story. Um, so there'll be a number of, you can put it into one long story of 60 seconds, or you can put it into several short stories of even five or 10 seconds at a time. And so what I've seen National Geographic do, for instance, instance, is put together maybe 25 or 30 of these little things where they give little bite-sized nuggets. They say, here we are on safari in Africa, and here are some of the animals who actually have been rescued. So they'll spend these little time, they'll put a little bit of text up on the screen to tell us what's going on, and you can get a story and understand what's going on, and they'll put a little video in there, and so it's mixed media. And I think it's really a cool use of the tool to be able to get a message across in a quick period of time, because I can go through my, my stories in five minutes and see what people are doing and see a couple of stories. And I'm really intrigued by that because I think that that's where the value for lawyers might be is trying to post some level of content, whether it's uh, a couple of stories about a new case that came out or let's give some tips on how to make better use of social media for lawyers and do that in just small little bite-sized pieces, I think is probably one of the more interesting 
interesting or innovative uses that lawyers could make, I'll say I don't see that happening. I don't see any of that right now, as far as I can tell. On Snap, on, Inst- on it's not on Snapchat. Uh, it may be on Instagram, and I just haven't looked hard enough. But I, I would say that that these are two potentially untapped tools by lawyers at this point. Yeah, I mean, I th- I think it's an area where people are learning to be creative and discovering what the tools can do. And I, as I thought about this, I thought of it in the the difference for me is you have a generation that's you know sees the the world and music and all in the sense of streaming and so you don't really have to own anything it's just there and things can be ephemeral because you you know because you, you don't just have to have and own things and that's a different mindset I think for some of us who say oh I have this big music collection or I have all this other stuff and so that's one piece of it I also was intrigued that the original idea, and this is one of these, you know, classic billion dollar, you know, class project at Stanford that started this, but part of the the idea that was this short-lived ephemeral notion was, or the temporariness of it was that it would, uh, as they said, reading from uh, the Wikipedia entry here, it would encourage frivolity and emphasize a more natural flow of interaction. Mm-hmm. And so that that's kind of intriguing to me. And so I think when you, as you're talking about, when you sort of say, okay, so if I'm a lawyer, how would that work for me? How might I use that? And so you see things develop like the stories, you know, sets of pictures, the the short videos. In that same podcast you referred to, the Note to Self one, they talked about uh, in Snapchat, there's this thing that gives you the number of and I forget what they call it's it. It's a chains. streak. It's a streak. Streaks. Yep, Snapchat streaks. Yeah. So it would tell you that like how many days in a row you had uh, communicated with somebody through Snapchat. And so it becomes really hard to break that streak. They don't and talk it, about it like it's a good thing, though. That's that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. They say it's a way of, of hooking you. But that's why the advertising and marketing people are interested in, in these tools, too, for things like that. So I, I think you would start to say, well, what can I do? with these things that might make sense. And, and I think it comes back to some of the things that we've talked about with social media before, where you would say, can I use these tools in connection with, say, a, a little league baseball team that I'm, my firm is sponsoring? Or, you know, can I do something where I represent certain types of business clients where I do, you know, pictures of some of the things they're doing? I mean, we have, a, you know, a couple of friends who are involved in the art scene in their cities and their law firm does a lot of stuff. And you could see that they could use this to, you know, to not necessarily broadcast, that's the wrong term there, but to use these tools to put out pictures and stories about the events they're involved in and some of some of their arts clients. And and so it really you start to see that it has a lot of interesting potential, but you gotta have the right medium. And you know, like when I like I said, when I talked to my my millennial friend, he loved it because you just took pictures, you didn't have to like write something and it was you could do funny stuff and it would go away. And it, and so it's just a, a different approach than what I'm used to. And I guess that that becomes, you know, part of the question of does this make sense for you? And then, Tom, I, I just want to raise one thing that I've been thinking about is this sort of self-disappearing notion in videos and how you might put information out to clients. I 
think that runs right into the sort of aging ethics rules about keeping copies of everything, and that I think would make lawyers especially wary of this. I don't know about that. I mean, I think it depends on the type of content that you provide. I mean, uh, for the most part, most of the state bars have have come around to the notion that information on a blog is not necessarily advertising, so it doesn't have to be approved by the state bar. And so I think that it really depends on the type of content that you provide to them. And I, I think, yes, I think it should make you think about it and be careful about what type of content that you provide. But I've got to believe that there's content out there that um, just because it goes away and you don't save it, or, or frankly, let's back up, you know, with Snapchat, you can save it. With Instagram, you can save that information if you want to download it now. It's by design, it's not for that, but there's a way to create what they call Snapchat memories. So if you do believe that there's some sort of uh, regulatory reason for your state bar that you need to keep it, you can still keep it. And I think that's probably a good idea. Now, um, I think that your millennial friend is right. Um, this, to me, is an interesting way of communicating with the public because there's a low barrier to entry. You and I tend to, well, we, we actually tend to work, I think, just fine whether we're writing or talking, but there are some who prefer to write and this doesn't require any of that. You take a picture, you shoot a, a quick video on something. Both of these tools, I think, I know that Instagram does, has the ability to go live. So you can, like Facebook Live or these other tools, you can go live at, at any moment and, and your followers can see you um, broadcasting live with no time limit, at least on Instagram, um, as you talk about stuff. So give an informal little webinar out there and, and talk to people about stuff. I, I think that what you say is, how do we want to jump into these tools, what makes the most sense for us to do this, if it makes sense, and how to really best get started with that. Yeah, I, to me, it's sort of like the, and there's always three things that I look at. So what is there an external push that makes sense? So that could be that there's, you know, somebody's asking you that it just, there's something about this that really appeals to you. You're using it for personal reasons. And you, did you see the way that you could jump? But typically something like that where you say, oh, I get this. And somebody's just giving me a little nudge to try it. Then I also think you want to understand whether you have audience or clients or potential clients there. And that I can see, you know, places where that could happen, especially if you if you had a practice that was focusing on the, the millennial audience that, that could be useful. And then I think it has to, you know, fit into what you're doing in a, in a meaningful way. So it's a medium that makes sense to you. So uh, you can probably hear my struggle with it because the photo and video, I just always forget to take pictures. So it's, <laughs> it's hard for me to imagine that I'm, you know, that this one is, is going to, to make uh, sense for me. And then I always come back to jobs to be done theory. Okay. So if I'm, what would I be hiring Instagram or Snapchat to do? And if I can answer that question, that sort of sums up the sort of three main things I think about all kind of get captured in that notion. So if I say, hey, it's a way to communicate with clients, I use it in a certain way, and that's what I'm hiring it for. If it's for marketing, that's another thing. And if I can figure out as a way to you know, get my clients to update me or to, to intake clients, that could be a, another thing. 
you know, so so I, I see some potential there. Well, I think, and really the nice thing, and, and I'll wrap it up on my end by saying this, I think the nice thing is, is that just like the barrier to entry of using the tool is fairly low, the barrier to just checking it out is even lower. Download the app. They'll offer to connect you, at least Instagram will, with your Facebook friends so you can see which of your friends are already using it and posting photos. Then go out and follow some professional accounts and see what they're doing and see what use people are making of it. Um, I think that at the very least, it's an entertaining way to spend some time looking at nice photographs, at least, uh, or videos, at least with Instagram. So I think to follow along with what Dennis is saying, the first step is just try it out. Take it for a drive, take a look at it. It doesn't cost anything, it's free to use, and you might find it's a lot more interesting than you expected. Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsor. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry. Connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit www.servenow.com. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mall Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. We have another audio question for this episode, which we love and we want to do more of. And this one is about web-based document automation tools or document assembly tools for solos and small firms. Let's go to the audio. Hi, Tom. Hi, Dennis. My name is Tom Lambot. I'm the CEO of Global Mac IT, where we provide IT services just to Mac-based attorneys. My question is about web-based documentation automation software, and what are the best options for solos and small firms? Many of the older, more traditional server-based options often cost thousands of dollars to get up and running and only run on Windows. Because our clients are all Mac users, Hotdocs is not an option since the Windows version is still required for creating templates. So we're always searching for the best solutions for Mac using attorneys. And although this applies to everyone, since I'm looking for web-based solutions, can you recommend two to three of the best options for document automation that are both fully web-based and affordable to solos and small law firms? Thank you. Tom, how would you answer that question? Well, I think what's interesting about this question is just the notion of document assembly in the cloud, because for a while there, I think, and still to a certain extent, document assembly in the cloud is a hard thing, uh, because you are relying upon, for the most part, using a word processing tool to interact with your document assembly software. You have to write rules or or whatever the, the task needs to be to create the templates, to create the documents, and nine times out of ten, that's in Microsoft Word. And so having a cloud-based tool that can interact with Word, I see as, I'm, I'm not a tremendous expert on this, but I see that as extraordinarily complicated, which 
for me says, here's why there's not a lot of these tools out there. Now, I just said a minute ago, I'm not an expert on this, so I, I knew about a couple of, of what I'm going to mention, but I also turned, I'm going to give credit where credit's due, turn to my, uh, my, our good friend, friend of the podcast, Jim Calloway, who does follow a lot of Document Assembly software products because he is always looking for tools to offer to his members. And between the two of us, we came up with this list. Now, now Tom, you mentioned that you can't use hot docs. That's not entirely true. Hot docs does have a cloud-based solution. It works in a browser or web-based application. It's probably not as well or, or highly used as their standard application, but they do have a cloud-based solution. And they actually have a new, a new tool on the market that they call Hot Docs Market. So if you go to hotdocsmarket.com, you can see what they use. It's a cloud-based tool, and, and what it allows you to do is, is it's, it's what it says. It's a market. Uh, you can search for, you can purchase. They call it expertly crafted templates from leading publishers and bar associations. So it's a place where you can actually find templates that other people have used and created uh, and download them. So not totally a document assembly solution, but still you're getting some uh, good quality content from it, or at least that's the, the goal. They're making a big pitch. A, a number of bar associations have gone into uh, partnerships with Hot Docs to offer this to their members. One of the software companies that I think is very interesting is Leap Software. Leap Software has a tool that actually plugs into Microsoft Word Online. So it gets to that point that I said it needs to be working with Word, and they've been able to tap into, I guess, the API for Microsoft Word Online. And so that is, I think that may be one of the leaders for solo and small firms. There's a company out there called Express Docs. From what I understand, their tools are, are quite good, and they do offer what they call a cloud server option for document assembly. But when you read the description, it says um, it's for larger firms who have a large volume of documents. So I, I'm not sure that that really puts it in the running for the solo and small firm market. Uh, what I'm really interested in is that the practice management tools like Rocket Matter, Clio, my case, don't really have robust document assembly products. Now, my, my case says that they have document assembly. I'm going to speculate because I haven't tried the tool, and, and if the my case folks want to come back and tell me I'm wrong, I suspect that it's more along the lines of just kind of drafting letters and things like that. Based on the description I've read, I don't think it's um, the kind of power that you really need in a good document assembly tool. I would really take a look at, at the Hot Docs solution or Leap Software. Those would be the two that uh, intrigue me the most out of what I, the research I've been doing. How about you, Dennis? So I had one reaction, which is the one that we typically make when somebody says there's not much in the way of, of Mac software, is that with something like Parallels, you can run the Windows software on a Mac. I mean, it's cumbersome, don't get me wrong. Cumbersome indeed. So that becomes one option. I guess that I was surprised at how few cloud tools there are. And I suspect even a year from now, there'll be a lot more of them because to me, I kind of see this as an area where you can go cloud and you may find some some of these tools that are outside the, the legal industry that, that come in because it seems like... You know, putting the power in the cloud and some of the, you know, the machine learning, AI, and simplest things can, can help you in this area. So for me, I swear it's like 10 years I've been really interested in a document assembly tool from a company called Exari, E-X-A-R-I. 
in Australia that I think has always been doing cool things. Now, as you said, Tom, it may be this sort of thing where you say, well, it makes sense because it only makes sense for a larger firm because of price. But I don't think that's the best way to look at it. To me, it's, it's volume that matters. And so if I'm doing a lot of things where it really lends itself to that, then it's a profit calculation. If I say I have this tool, I'm paying X amount per month for it, and I'm generating all these documents that I can flat fee bill, and I'm not spending a lot of time drafting them, then the financial calculation becomes very important. I also found the Express Docs. There's also one called uh, Rapid Docs. Uh, R-A-P-I-D-O-C-S. Looks like it's a cloud tool from uh, Direct Law. I also saw some things, I think you're right, Tom, it looks like some people describe things as cloud or hosted, but when you, you dig into it, that's not exactly what you see. And then I saw something from a, a document assembly tool called Pythagoras, called Pythagoras on cloud, but I got a an error going to the cloud, that cloud uh, platform. And so I'm not sure it's a, a viable product anymore. So I think there are a number of things out there. And it's definitely something that I would keep paying attention to. And then, like I said, kind of watch to see if there are companies from outside the legal space that nibble into this area. And you might be able to find some, some interesting things. But I'd be surprised if Hotdocs doesn't start to offer more of a cloud platform over the next year or two. Two quick things. Um, I also looked at Xari, and I know, Dennis, you and I talked about Xari a couple of episodes ago, and we talked about contract generation, and, and they have their own document generation tool. And frankly, I looked at it, and I, I understand that you talk about volume, but when it starts saying that DocGen empowers companies to achieve an unprecedented level of speed and control, and then it talks about plugging in your Salesforce data and your ERP system and your enterprise data systems, I don't think solo and small firms. I think what are the simple tools that people can use to do that? And although I, I think XRI is probably a really cool and excellent tool, I'm still not sold on it as a solo and small firm product. The one company that I really would like to see develop a cloud-based tool is a company called The Form Tool. The Form Tool is a company that has a very loyal following uh, of people. They develop some really nice document assembly software, but they have yet to look to the cloud. And so that's where I would look in the next year is to see if they come out and the next move that they make is to the cloud. I agree on that last point, 100%. So now it's time for our parting shots, that one tip website or observation you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. So one of the things I do like to talk about are um, Microsoft continues to roll out free tools that are part of an Office 365 subscription. And although what I'm going to talk about isn't entirely new, it may be new to lawyers, at least uh, from Microsoft anyway, and it's a part of Office 365 that's called Bookings. So you may be familiar with tools out there. There are a number of products that allow you to attach a booking page to your website where clients or potential clients can book time with you. Well, Microsoft has its own tool now. It will set up uh, a web page for you that people can access that information lives within SharePoint and your Office 365 account, and it plugs directly into your Exchange calendar so that it's got your calendar. It can set up the calendar of your team so that people can book meetings with individuals in your office. It makes setting up meetings uh, with clients or with potential clients really very simple and very easy. And I think the reason why I'm recommending 
recommending it is it's totally free to use. So you're not you're not having to buy a tool or use any other tool that costs nothing to try out. So if you've got an Office 365 a subscription, give a shot and give a look uh, to bookings. So Tom, what I have is, as you know, I love to find articles that are really great plain language introductions to technology topics. And I found one recently uh, that's called, uh, it was on the O'Reilly site, O'Reilly.com. And it's called Bots, What You Need to Know by John Bruner. It's like about a four or five page article, goes through the whole world of bots, chat bots, uh, how you might use them, implications, you know, how they use AI, uh, what to expect from these good solid article in plain language I highly recommend for people who want to learn a little bit about bots and then they can follow it up by listening to the podcast we did on bots and so that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report thanks for joining us on the podcast you can find show notes for this episode at tkmreport.com if you like what you hear please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or on the Legal Talk Network site where you can find archives of all of our previous podcasts as well like we mentioned before we really like getting questions to answer uh, during one of our segments. So if you'd like to have a question, uh, there's a couple of ways you can do that. You can uh, go to the Legal Talk Network site and, and find the contact information and send the, the question their way or get it arranged to, to send your audio question to them or just email us. We're at tkmreport at gmail.com. We'll make sure that the right information gets to the Legal Talk Network site so you can record your question or send us a tweet. I'm at Tom Mile and Dennis is at Dennis Kennedy. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to The Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. Help us out by telling a couple of your friends and colleagues about the podcast. Thanks for listening to The Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.